Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm -hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh. and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 462, Turkey Talk, with Adam Butler. And I am your co-host, and the guy whose football team has PO'd about 70% of America. Man, you ain't kidding. I can't believe Tennessee didn't get in this year. (laughs) (laughs) Cry, another crybaby. Here we go. (laughs) They should have had them, man. I mean, I know had a couple losses in there, but we've looked better the past week against Vandy. Should have been in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I'm your co-host, and I'm the guy who found out he owns the Tiny Tom. What is the Tiny Tom? Literally what I said. I've got a trail camera of a pulp-sized gobbler on my property. Oh, really? He is so small. I sent it to you. I don't know if it's gone through yet, but it is mm. Im- impressively small. So it's it's five gobblers together, four normal-sized ones, and then this one getting run around by the other ones that is half the height 
and size of the other ones. Like he's tiny with a big long beard too. Hmm. I'm looking at that video right now. So he's the one comes, he comes running in. Yeah. <laughs> See how small that thing is? That is a Polt. Yeah. He's tiny. And it's, I got a it's a freak of nature Polt. Yeah. He he just hatched this year with a ten inch beard. It's pretty oh. impressive. I got a video of him the next day too, chasing behind another one and where he's you know, that video he's a little bit behind the gobbler that's right in front of him, so I thought yeah. maybe it's an optical illusion. But I mean you can tell he's not that far behind it to look that small. And he's tiny. That oh dude, you just totally misidentified that bird. That is a roadrunner. <laughs> it's about what it looks like, isn't it? <laughs> he's not stopped running. He, well, he did stop running, but I mean, I assume he's the whipping boy of the of the flock. Gotta be when you weigh five pounds, <laughs> you gotta get beat up by Jake's. Yeah, <laughs> by I would AJ. be. I, I honestly hope he sticks around. I would love to hunt him in the spring. <laughs> so the one that the one that's running him is he injured? No, he just he's got his wings out like he's trying to tackle him. Oh, uh, when he comes into view, both wings are out. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that. he looks like a, you know, airplane coming after him. And yeah. then he hops around a tree and kind of spreads a wing up to get his balance again. And you don't have to be very big to look big and intimidating to that turkey. I would imagine the the tiny Tom. Yeah. He's pretty cool. I've been that is. examining yeah. that video and I'm like, he is so small. Like he's wild small. So anyway, yeah. pretty cool. Well, you could do a, you know, how, how the turducken was the big thing years ago. You could just do a turk turk. Yeah. You could kill yeah. that Tom and stuff him inside of another Tom <laughs> and have that for Thanksgiving next year. Yeah. Uh, I like unique turkeys, so I'll know if I get him because, you know, when I pick him up, he'll just I'll sling him up in the air like a sparrow because I'll, I'll be expecting 20 pounds and he'll be 10. Uh, I have a feeling you'll know him when you see him. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I'll hear him gobbling and be looking, and then all of a sudden I'll look down, and there, he, there he'll be. Do you think he gobbles like this? <laughs> kind of a Merriam in him. Mm, yeah. He yeah. probably doesn't gobble much, because as soon as he gobbles, the other four pounds on him. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, is wild. Pretty cool. Pretty so cool. So we've teased this video a good bit because that that truly is the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah. And it's it's something else. I mean, that's that's pretty unique. Are you going to post that on social because you know you're going to get yeah. hounded by people if you don't? I tell you what. So this show will air on Thursday the seventh. I'll put this on social media on Friday the eighth. So if you hear this show opening day. I'm going to have it on my story the next day. So listeners, if you want to check it out, the tiny Tom will be revealed on Friday the 8th. You should be a real a-hole and post it on our Patreon account for our patrons only. Hey, I'm in. I like (laughs) it. I like it. No, I just made everybody mad. (laughs) Well, there you go. Just Alabama spirit lately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good lead in and good segue. So uh, there's.
probably nothing else I need to say. You know, that that sums it up. I, and actually, I am going to say one other thing because you know me well enough. You know, I won't shut up about things. But all of these years that there has been talk of expanding the college football playoffs. Yeah. And I have sat back and said, there's no reason to. The number eight team in the country is not going to beat number one or number two or number three. Now, granted, there is a chance. But in those years, in those years, there was was a clear cut. Yes, there was a lot of disparity in college football. I think the transfer, my personal opinion is that the transfer portal has changed that dramatically. And there is a lot of parity in college football these days where these there are truly and we saw it this Saturday where number eight beat number one. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm going to say that that my team, who was number eight at that time, deserved to be in the playoffs. But I'm also going to say Florida State deserved to be in playoffs. Texas, Michigan, you know, we can name several teams this year that deserve to Georgia that deserves to be in playoffs that are that, you know, and some of those are not going to make it. So, yeah, there kind of wasn't a decision they could make that wasn't going to hack off several schools. It's that way every year. Yeah. Aren't they expanding it next year? Yeah, it's going to be expanded. Yeah, it's going to be expanded next year to 12 teams. And what's going to happen is the fans and players of team number 13 are going to be hacked off. Yes, it's just going to happen, you know. So, uh, again, I'm not saying that that I think the committee made the right decision or the wrong decision or whatever. I'm just saying that, you know, as a fan of college football, I think that the timing for the playoffs to be expanded is a year too late. Yeah. But yeah, but who who'd have known? And nobody. It's a tough decision, man. I mean, you got a Florida State, like they won every game. What what more you want? You, know? <laughs> you got to kind exactly. of feel bad for them. But exactly. I don't. I also, you can't argue that maybe the four team best teams in the nation aren't in this thing. And hey, if Florida State goes in there and whoops the soup out of Georgia, then fine. A lot of people are going to say, hey, they definitely should have been in, but. We'll see how it happens there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I do hate it for Florida State fans and and but more importantly, the players and the coaches over there. You know, that's yeah, yeah. It's just tough. I thought you were going to say, but more importantly, I love it for me because my team's in. No, I mean, of course, <laughs> of course, I'm not P.O.'d about it because my team's in. Yeah. But I'm, well. I'm certainly not going to, you know, rub something like that in, in a fan or a player's face because, you know. Number one, why would they even care what I have to say? But number two, you know, that's just it's it's just not a good situation. It just really <laughs> is not. So, yeah. all right, enough well, football hey, talk. Speaking of Florida, you brought them in. Florida quotas are out, so everybody out there who got the disappointing news today that you didn't draw again, like me, there's hope. We got mm-hmm. something with better odds for you. Something that hunts earlier than South Florida. And you get two birds. Ooh, I like and what you're saying. Good meals, good fellowship, and in South Texas hunting Rios. So if you did not draw your Florida tag, or if you did, or if you just want to go hunt earlier than Florida and kill two Rio Grande gobblers with Andy and I, 
We're hosting a raffle, if you haven't heard about it. We're hosting a raffle, which will be linked in the show notes, for a two-and-a-half-day hunt at El Mapache Grande Ranch. Sorry. El Mapache Blanco Ranch in South Texas. For February 20th is when we fly in, and we fly out on the 23rd. So we'll hunt the 21st, 22nd, and half a day on the 23rd, and head out. Food, everything included besides your license and transportation. And you get two Rios. Go to the link in the show notes, or you can go to Cameron Weddington on Instagram and click the link in my bio if that's easier for you. And join our raffle. So buy some buy a package of tickets, you get a discount. You're going to have a lot better odds than you did on those Florida quotas and special opportunity hunts that disappointed you so yet again this year like they did me. You're just assuming that everyone who that that no one drew since you didn't draw. I don't think oh. anybody drew. Other than, I like it. You know, I think Ranella probably drew. I don't, you know, <laughs> hunting public probably got tags. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have not gotten notification that I did not draw. You didn't draw. Okay. You didn't. I didn't. So you Appreciate didn't. It. Yeah. Let's let me know. Unless you got an in there, man. But but hey, seriously, go check out the raffle. Forgot to mention proceeds from the raffle, assuming it's profitable and we get expenses paid, because this is an expensive hunt. Proceeds will be split between Turkeys for Tomorrow and the National Wild Turkey Federation, two wonderful turkey-related organizations that are working hard to conserve the wild turkey in North America. So that ought to add some incentive, too, you know. Even if you lose twice in Florida and in our raffle, you at least have made a donation to two great organizations. Yeah. And but hey, we're, come on. we're like borderline being profitable. Yes. You know, I, very I, I, said, I said last week that I figured we would be at that point by the time this week's episode was recorded, and we are just so close. In fact, I can't tell you that we're not, but I can't tell you that we are, but we are just so close to it. Yeah. And I just got this email, but Matt White bought five tickets. So, Matt White, thank you, sir. We appreciate you. All right. Hope you win. I'm sure there's more than one Matt White out there, but hey, shout no. out if, if that's Matt White who I see at church every Sunday. Oh, what if it's the Matt White that I see on Instagram. Could be. Time. What if that's the same Matt White <laughs> that you see at church and I see on Instagram? What if there's more than one Matt White? Uh, gotta be just one. Yeah, okay. Uh, no way that's not a common name, you know? No. No. It's like, <laughs> like Andrew Galliano. I think there's about eight or nine of us. So. Yeah. Like Bob Thomas, the, the pseudonym for R.T. Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Geez. Very cool. Uh, good we stuff. Have... Y'all go check that out. Hop on yeah. the raffle. Buy some tickets. You never know. You could win it with one. But if it was me, I'd buy a few because you get a discount per ticket and you're donating to a cool cause anyway. So hop on there and do that. We and are going the... to have a blast on this. It's going to be I, sick. It's I in 75 days, man. I know. I can't tell you that the shotguns are going to go bang, but we are going to have a great time. So Yes, Looking it's going to be awesome. And Kyle from El Mapache Blanco Ranch posted a video the other day of a sick group of gobblers strutting together. It was a bunch of toms. <laughs> strutting and gobbling. 
Yeah, it had me fired up. So yeah. it, I think it's going to be a great hunt. We look forward to hosting two of you guys and getting to meet you and enjoying that hunt with y'all. So check it out. Do that. And this week we've got Adam Butler on, who is the wild turkey coordinator for Mississippi Department of is it Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's who we got on. Great interview. You want to just hop on in there? Let's do it. We blabbed a lot, but leading up until now, but Adam's got some really cool stuff to share and, you know, just a a great guy. So I say we jump in there and then we can talk about the interview afterwards. Sounds good. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the phone with us this evening the one and only Adam Butler, who is a wild turkey program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And we are going to talk about snow geese. Okay. All right. We're, we're, we're not. If you're still hanging on there with us and didn't just stop the podcast and go listen to something else, we're, of course, going to be talking turkeys. So Adam's biologist and a lover of the wild turkey and a hunter of the wild turkey and we're just going to be talking turkey topics with Adam this evening. So, Adam, thank you, sir, for taking time away from the family to join us. And how are you doing this evening? Man, I'm doing great. My my pleasure and honor to be on here with you guys. I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there on a lot of subjects, but you guys have been doing this Turkey Hunter podcast for a long time. Like, I, I know y'all have like a ton of episodes. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be on. Well, we're glad to have you and and again you know we we appreciate you giving your time and and sharing your knowledge with us and you know hopefully we won't disappoint you <laughs> well i think it's probably the other way around you know i don't know uh, sometimes you get to talking turkey man sometimes we just go for forever and ever so that, we'll, uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on point enough to be worth listening to yeah yeah, yeah. That's that's usually what happens. But I think if we stay in that turkey realm and stay out of the snow geese, I think we can keep the listeners of the show pretty interested. So <laughs> good deal. So tell us a little bit about you. How how long have you been a biologist? And, you know, give us give us a little background on Adam and and, you know, drift off from the professional world into the turkey hunting world as well. When did you start turkey <laughs> hunting and all that fun stuff? Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess I, I've worked for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks as a biologist for about 16 years now. And most of that time involves pretty directly with turkeys. I've been the wild turkey program coordinator. Gosh, you call me out on that. I guess seven years now. I think I took the program over in 2016 from Mr. Dave Godwin, who's mm-hmm. well-respected within kind of the turkey conservation and management world. So that's that's kind of professionally, you know, that, you know, it's, it's sort of all things Turkey, you know, being kind of the point person for the state wildlife agency on everything, Turkey monitoring and management activities and, and, and policy stuff and, you know, coordinating research stuff. So it really is a, a dream job, I guess, for somebody who, you know, has always been a, a, a really hardcore Turkey hunter. Like it, Turkey hunting, I, I, it, turkey hunting is like one of the things in my life that it ha- has never really changed. Like if you if you look at, you know, at any point in my life, I, I was always crazy about turkey hunting. And ironically, like I I wanted to be a biologist for for 
since I was a teenager, but as I was kind of going through college and, and getting the degree and, and all of that in um, wildlife science at Mississippi State, I, I really at the time didn't necessarily want to become a turkey biologist because I was afraid it might would sort of become a job and, and kind of sour my love for the bird because I was yeah. such an avid turkey hunter. To the point where, ironically, I started, you know, a, a lot of us end up going to uh, graduate school and getting, you know, master's or higher in, in wildlife. And um, when I was finishing up at state, at Mississippi State, I was sort of looking around the country for different opportunities there. And and actually, I applied for multiple. And one of those was a, a turkey project in Texas. And I ended up turning it down specifically because I was afraid turkeys might become a job, you know. And I didn't wow. want that and yeah. uh, ended up um, going to the University of Georgia and, and working with Tall Timbers Research Station on a quail project in Florida. But, you know, I ended up kind of landing back in Mississippi. I'm from here and the, the turkey program opportunity kind of opened up to me. And I don't know, I, I, like I said, I, I mentioned Dave Godwin earlier and, and his predecessor, Ron Cease, and, and both of those guys had been turkey biologists for the agency and, and, it, and were still just crazy about them both professionally and personally and you know I, I i could see that it had not really changed their love for the bird and and so you know just i, I got really blessed to have the opportunities open up to me that that have you know so um, yeah you know i think i would be more concerned with ending up like you know joe hutto or or somebody like that that you know got just so involved in wild turkeys made them their life and now they don't hunt them because of that you know they just have you know so much respect for the bird that they don't they don't or i should say so much of a love for the bird that they don't want to kill it so yeah that that definitely did not happen to me if anything it it made what was already (laughs) a pretty bad addiction worse i think on the, on the hunting side now i'm i'm probably you know my my son is is getting old enough to uh carry a gun last year was kind of the first year i let him really tote a gun in the spring wood so i can see where like you know my next several years may be a little different in that you know i may not be personally shooting as many turkeys as i have in the past just because of that but as far as you know the the love of hunting them, I, I think it had the opposite effect on me. I didn't know that about Joe Hutto. I, I, well, I've, I've read his book and, and was just really amazed by that book. Didn't know yeah. his background on hunting or whether he still hunts them or not. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I had him on the show years ago and, and asked that question, and he said, no, I, I do not. And, you know, I can totally see that. But yeah, Had that, he previous to that? Previous yes. To, yeah, huh. sure did. And, and that you know, book, the first time I read, I've, I've, I've read that book more than once, I think. And the first time I read it, I, I couldn't believe the things that he was describing that those birds just came into the world knowing, you know. That's just, crazy, kind of, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. It, 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 that, you know, that's kind of one of those things where you, you do just gain a whole new respect for them, reading just the observations that he had. Yeah, yeah no doubt. So, you know, we've had a lot of your colleagues on the show over the years, and I've, I've never asked any of them this question, but I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel like your education as, as a biologist and your career as a biologist and then studying wild turkeys has made you a better turkey hunter? Hmm. 
And that may be really hard to answer because we would expect to get better with age. But, you know, here I'm the exception to that rule. But we won't (laughs) talk about that. But go ahead. I don't I don't know. That's that's an interesting question because it's hard. I mean, it's hard to know what kind of a turkey hunter I would have been otherwise. Otherwise, you know, I think a couple of things that I, I can say for sure. One, I, I do think being a biologist gave me um, a deeper, like a deeper just respect for how how wary they are. Like, and I, I and I'm, I'm specifically talking about turkey trapping. I don't know. I can't remember if it was I think Will. I don't remember if it was Toxie Hayes or Will Primos, but one of those guys, you know, says says something along the lines of, you know, I just don't trust them, you know. And basically, like meaning they're they're so wary of everything, you don't take anything for granted when you know in terms of camouflage and setup and all that kind of stuff. And I think if like being a biologist and and having involvement in projects where you're trapping turkeys definitely changed my view of that part of it because when you're trying to shoot a turkey and the goal is just to get it you know inside of of forty yards and you're going to squeeze the trigger as soon as you can that's a you you actually have a little bit more room for error in that than you do when you're trying to trap them because you know the the nets we use whatever the size is 40 by 40 or 30 by 50 or 40 by 60 they're different sizes but 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 in almost all cases like you've got to get the turkeys to a very specific spot like just having them out on the edge of where that rocket net is going to be is not sufficient they've got to be right in the center of it in the exact spot and you come to realize like anything in that setup that is out of the ordinary for them they will balk at it. So they can be coming to the same spot day after day after day to where you're trying to catch them. And then if something changes, they will absolutely pick it out immediately. And you can't take for granted that just that little bit of something's different. A lot of times is enough to make them say, Oh, I'm not going there today. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not comfortable there. And so from that standpoint, I, I think I, it probably did help me a little bit because I like, I don't, when I'm setting up on a turkey hunting, I think about those things. Like you can't take anything for granted. I want the setup to be absolutely perfect so that when the turkey comes in, like he has no chance of picking me out. And so I do, I probably do think through like, you know, sit on this tree and not that tree or sit over there and not there. Um, And some of that may be influenced because of the experience with turkey trapping and just how, um, you know how suspicious they are of everything the one turkey trapping story i i, I could tell it really like it flabbergasted I me mean, we were we were trying to catch some birds for a research project and 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 had a group of gobblers coming to a site and i forget exactly how many it was it's maybe half a dozen gobblers coming to this bait site and we had trail cameras out on the site you know like we knew they were coming and they were coming on this roadway and so you know when you're trying to trap turkeys you do everything like you when you set the net out like you cover it with leaves and you do all these sort of things to camouflage well most of the time the birds had been coming to that site they were coming from kind of up this roadway and the morning we planned to trap i was in the you know where i was actually in a the site had an old deer shooting house there so i was kind of in that and the turkeys came from the opposite way that morning for whatever reason and the trail camera that had been on the site was still there, but they came from a different direction. And I, I watched this happen. And it, like, you, you may not believe it, but I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. That, that group of gobblers was coming to the bait site, and they were getting almost right up to it. And the wind blew a little bit, and the strap for the trail camera 
was just kind of hanging down loose. And that strap blew in the wind. And that lead gobbler was probably, I mean, he was like maybe 10 feet from that when that happened. And it, like, he immediately stopped and, like, locked onto that. And, I mean, I'm watching it happen because, like, he was getting really close to the net. Like, I'm sitting there with the little, the little detonator ready to fire the rockets, you know, and getting ready. And that little bit of breeze and him coming from a different way and seeing that strap that, that he knew was something out of the ordinary that shouldn't be there, like, that little bit, he stopped and wouldn't go any further. And ultimately, that whole group of turkeys turned around and went the other way, and we did not catch them that day. And wow. I'll never forget that, watching that little strap just blow in the wind, and that turkey was close enough to it that he knew that is not natural. Like, something is something unnatural about that. I don't like it. It's making me nervous. I'm getting out of here. So, yeah. So, yeah, don't trust them. Don't take anything for granted, like, when you're when you're setting up and, and all of that. Yeah. And that's, that's funny because – so I'm I'm going to say this before I uh, tell the story, but I am not much of a antler hunter when it comes to deer. I like to shoot deer and I like to eat deer. So a lot of times, well, I can't say a lot of times. I'll say sometimes. What I'll do is if I'm if I set up a stand somewhere that is not you know as camouflaged as I want it to be, or if because there's a lot of times when I just will take my dove stool and I'll just sit on my dove stool in the woods, you know, sit there for 30, 45 minutes. And then I get bored with that spot and I'll pick up and, you know, slip off another 75, 50 or 75 yards and sit down in a different spot or whatever else. But I'll take something that's out of the ordinary. Maybe it's just a piece of flag, you know, surveyor's flag and hang it up on a tree, just something that is out of the ordinary and when a deer comes through it'll bring their attention to that instead of to me and it's amazing at how that is enough to distract them of course assuming the wind's right that that's enough to distract them and they're curious about that new thing whereas a turkey is just suspicious as all get out yeah you know it's yeah, interesting that's exactly the differences. what i was thinking as you're telling that story, that's exactly what I was thinking. That that that's the difference between a deer and a turkey. A, a deer is going to see that little bit of movement, you know, the wind blows the flagging, and it's going to paw the ground, and it's going to bob its head, and yeah. kind of wonder what that is. It may even like take steps towards it to try to Circle figure out what it. it is. Yeah. And a, a turkey though is going to say, "Heck no, I'm out of here." Like, oh yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a, one more similar story. And this this was told to me by uh, Ron Cease, who was the, the very first turkey program coordinator for the department um, when we established kind of a formal wild turkey program. But he, he was a part of kind of the very last push of turkey restoration in the state in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, I forget exactly where he told me this happened. I want to say it happened in the Delta, but they were they were trying to trap a group of turkeys for restoration purposes. So they were going to you know box them up and go release them elsewhere and had a flock of hens using a bait site and they the the day they decided to trap they you know they had kind of a, a mock set up out there beforehand but then you know you usually the night before or whatever you put the real stuff out you put the net out and the cannons or the rockets or whatever they were using at the time and then you know you're usually in a blind that you know is the distance the blind is from the net kind of limited by the amount of uh, cord you have Mm-hmm. Uh, amount of electrical cord you have to shoot the shoot the charges off well he c- 
covered everything, covered the net, covered all the stuff. But the, 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 the blind they set up was across a little like gravel sort of road. And the electrical cord was running across the road and they didn't cover it. Everything else is completely covered by leaves or brush or whatever to, to, to hide it, you know, but that little bit of electrical cord in the road, they didn't cover it. And he said the flock of turkeys came in just like they've been coming in and it was a big group of hens and the lead hen got right to that cord in the road and stopped and looked at it and knew something wasn't right there. And ultimately same thing happened. Like says, uh, uh-uh, this something's unnatural. I'm turning around and walking off. <laughs> And turned around and would not cross that cord running across the road because they knew it was not there the day before and it's something that's not supposed to be there and it freaked them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It gives us gives us some insight as to, you know, your calling and that that Tom's goblin and responding to everything you say. He's on his way in and then all of a sudden he's not. And <laughs> You know, that's when our minds start to wander. Did I move? Did a hen come in and steal him away? Did a coyote come through? Did a bobcat? And it could be something as simple as a branch fell from a tree overnight and was laying somewhere that it, you know, first time that that turkey's ever seen it and it just happened to turn him. Yeah, it really could. It it really could. And I, I, you know... I very much believe that, you know, when turkeys shut up, a lot of times it's sometimes it's because they got hinned up and that happens, you know, no yeah. doubt. But a lot of times it's because something has spooked them. Either you got up and moved or pushed it a little too close or something and you didn't realize you spooked it. Maybe he didn't just completely see you or whatever, but he knew something just isn't right. And that's all it takes. As long if they think just something isn't right, that's enough, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that happens a lot more than, than we appreciate. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, definitely. You mentioned, Cameron, I feel like I'm hogging the conversation. I apologize. But you have at it, man. You mentioned uh, the the very first wild turkey program coordinator in Mississippi and, and them doing some trap and transfer stuff, some of the last trap and transfer stuff that was done in the state. Tell us a little bit about that, the, just the turkeys in Mississippi, and, and talk a little bit about the turkeys in the past and, you know, kind of where they are yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm, I'm always really proud to, to brag on Mississippi whenever I can. And, you know, when when the state we – were, we were kind of late in the game as a state to establish a state wildlife agency. A lot of states – so the agency I worked for that – we were the, the Game and Fish Commission when we were first established. Now we're the Department of Wildlife, Fish, and Parks. But we were established in 1932. And really, like, when you look at what the, the, the legislature's purpose for that, like, turkeys were right at the top of the list of things that, that drove the state legislature, the state government, to establish a wildlife agency. So almost from the beginning mm-hmm. of the agency, you know, turkeys were a high priority. And we were we were relatively early on compared to a lot of states in the restoration process. So, you know, um, I'm sure all listeners kind of know the whole backstory that, 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 you know, we almost extirpated the turkeys and then we trapped and transferred them around um, to, from, from the few places they remain to, to areas of good habitat. And here in Mississippi, like that process started in about 1955 or so. So it, it was very soon which that that's not very long after sort of 
the advent of the, the cannon net and all of that, that kind of technology being figured out that we can catch turkeys in the wild that way. And, and yeah. so Mississippi, you know, by certainly by 1960 was in full swing of catching and moving birds around. And a lot, unlike maybe some other states further to the north, like a, a pretty good swath of our state never completely lost turkeys. And I think the same can right. be said about Alabama. Yeah. Um, so like the very, we, we were, we were talking about it before we went live, the, the very Southeast part of Mississippi, all the way up kind of the, the, uh, Eastern part of the state up along the Alabama border, never completely lost Turkey. So there was already sort of a seed source down there and really a, a Turkey hunting culture kind of had remained activated down there where, where it got lost in a lot of other places sort of during that mid 20th century time frame when there weren't birds, you know, um, but so a lot of that restoration stuff was, you know, like in our state was full swing in the 60s and 70s on. And, and by the 80s, a lot of Mississippi had been completely restocked and the population, you know, just like it does in a lot of places, was just booming exponentially. And so, you you know, our state sort of a lot of our state, the, the lower two thirds of our state, let's say kind of peak Turkey was probably, you know, when I was 10 years old, you know, um, you know, back in the, the, the late eighties and, and early nineties, um, the very Northern part of our state got restocked a little bit later. There was still some restocking going on in kind of the very upper, maybe quarter of Mississippi on through the early to mid nineties. And so those populations sort of boomed and peaked out a little bit later, but you know, that's kind of where we were. And, and you see like ebbs and flows uh, in, in the data that we have, you know, we've never quite from a from the standpoint of total numbers of turkeys taken or whatever however whatever kind of metric you want to look at it we've, we've never quite gotten back to those early peaks now the the last couple of years you know we so i, I guess the last 10 to 15 years you know just like a lot of other places we we, we saw some downtimes and and some headwinds and and man you know five years ago i was taking a lot of phone calls about you know uh, just the, the different places seeing the birds yeah. not seeing birds, you know, birds declining. Yeah. But I tell you, like the last maybe three-ish years, th- you know, three, four years have been a lot better in terms of hats. So I think we're, you know, we're not, I don't I don't know what the long-term trajectory is, but the short-term trajectory for the last couple of years has been much more positive than it was maybe the, you know, 10 or 15 years before that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, um, a lot of the Southeast, I guess, too, has seen – since about 2019, 2020-ish, a little bit better broods and, and poult reports than we had the previous decade. Yeah, for sure. And that's like one of those things where it's just, it, it really is hard to get your head around because there's such, there's a lot of differences across the South in terms of, you know, habitat and hunting seasons and all sorts of different things. But there do, there do seem to be really big patterns. Um that, that happened uh, and i'll say too like in our like specific case here in in the state um a couple of really big things that if you go back 10 or 15 years really hurt us i think we we're getting over her i've gotten over one um in mississippi probably the best turkey habitat we have and the the areas that can have the highest density of turkeys are right along the margin of the mississippi river so that land, you know, we, we call it, you know, behind the Mississippi, mainline Mississippi River levee, we call that the Batcher over here. So it's basically a, big, a long, narrow strip of land. But, man, when they got them, they got them, you know. You know and starting in about 
2008, 9, 10, right around in there. The Mississippi River was just flooding all of those areas, you know, every year, every other year. And, and you know, we went probably a decade there where we just got a really bad roll of the dice on floods in that part of the state that would traditionally be some of the highest turkey numbers in the state to the point where it, it drove those populations really, really low. Well, yeah. that area along the river is, is a really um, rich environment ecologically. So when things kind of line up and the river behaves, they can bounce back really, really quickly to, to, to really, really high numbers. And that's what's happened. So we've, we've gone, you know, gosh, I guess the last three summers, if I'm thinking right, the last three summers, the river's not really flooded any of those areas. And, and in fact, you know, the last two summers, the river's kind of been at historic lows. And so if they yeah. don't get a flood over there, if the turkey nests don't get flooded out, you know, they, they do really well. And so a lot of those properties are reporting, you know, the best turkey numbers they've had in decades. So that's kind of a unique thing in that part of the state that's, you know, one of our traditional turkey powerhouses that it's been able to bounce back because sort of the environmental conditions that were holding it down have, have you know, we finally just, like I said, the, the stars have lined up and we, you know, we rolled sevens a couple of times in a row and now, bam, we're, you know, they're back. Um, yeah. The other part, like the southern part of the state really was affected very heavily by Hurricane Katrina. That dam back in 2005 damaged like 80% of the hardwoods in the lower southeast quarter or third of the state got damaged. And, you know, turkeys rely on hardwoods as kind of the, the backbone of their landscape. And, you know, when you blow a lot of those down, they're going to suffer for a while. Well, now we're you know, almost 20 years post that hurricane, and a lot of those forests have been able to grow back out kind of into open turkey woods. And so you've seen down there in that part of the state, the last three or four years, those numbers have bounced back. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of really big patterns, big picture patterns that we don't understand really well, but you can also point to some very specific things, at least here locally, that I'm familiar with to say, okay, there's probably a reason why they weren't doing good for this run of years. And now, you know, some things have changed and we're seeing them, you know, kind of come yeah. back a little bit. Yeah. And you would also assume like the years that obviously flooding is going to have a major impact on your river bottom turkeys, but you'd also assume even your hill turkeys, that means there's more rain, more wet hens. I mean, Polt's probably not doing too great in a heavy rain right there when they're hatching out. You'd assume that's just bad for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, like the Mississippi River, a lot of the flood levels of that are driven by rainfall way far north from here, like the Ohio River Valley and stuff kind yeah. of dictate river floods or, or how much snowfall there is in Montana. You know, things that are happening hundreds or thousands of miles away can determine whether the river flood. But you're exactly right. Like what happens here locally is going to, you know, I'm talking about the Mississippi River on, on that. But like here locally, same thing can happen in, in some of your smaller river bottoms you know that we have a lot yeah. of here we're we're a we're a low flat state and so you know any kind of rainfall is going to flood river bottoms and swamps and and it's going to cause problems for turkeys in those areas and then like you say hens that are nesting even in the upland sites just they they tend not to do as well when when the weather doesn't give you a good stroke of luck you know yeah it we had a similar experience here in west tennessee with flooding because it's similar floodplain type deal right on the mississippi river and our turkeys just got decimated in the river bottoms like to the point it was very difficult to find a turkey down there 
and on private land even you know well-managed private land and they are starting to we're starting to see them again but it's like they got so poor it was just unbelievable how quick it kind of happened but you're right it was it seemed like it was like three or four years in a row we had like what everybody would call a thousand year flood like these monster floods and it was yeah. right in april yeah. and may yeah but those are like i said those areas are really productive too so it's kind of like it I, I always say like they're the opposite of of texas like when it comes like you know texas is if they get rain turkey yeah. boom if they don't get rain the turkeys crash and those areas are sort of yeah. the opposite of that it's dry. They're going to do exceptionally well. They're, it's like they don't have a mediocre hatch over there. It's either going to be like just you know through the roof great, or it's going to be basically a zero. Um, and so we we yeah. looked up the last, like I said, um, the last three summers they've done really well over there, and and so a lot of those populations have have jumped back. You know, so yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't well, know if that, you know, I, I, not to say that there's not challenges and troubles and i do think you know like you know most all game birds are, are having a hard go of it um across a lot of the united states but so i don't i don't know that sort of the things talking here are, are a, a change in the long-term pattern but you know certainly in the last couple of years have been better than the few before that yeah y'all have in recent years i feel like have been making almost seems like annually at this point changes to turkey hunting seasons or i think tagging requirements and uh non-residents you know changes there because of the influx due to being one of the earlier opening states uh do you want to kind of go over some of the changes y'all have implemented maybe the past couple of years yeah um so we you know going back to like 2015 16 17 and there you know there was a like everywhere else you know turkeys were, were not doing well and there was a lot of discussion about it and we as an agency and our, our commission, that's kind of the, the board of directors that governs the agency, if you want to think of it that way. A um, lot of discussion about where to go with turkeys. And, and you know, we put our heads together on kind of a, a big management plan, strategic plan sort of a thing. And a lot of that laid out some of some of that stuff, some of the framework stuff and things. And one of the first things, I guess, on that list that, that we checked off was harvest reporting. So we, you know, we did not have a system here. Uh, where hunters were, were supposed to directly report their harvest, you know, when it happened. And, you know, we had harvest estimates that we were backdooring through, you know, some some statistical hand-waving after the fact. But we felt like having a harvest reporting system was going to give us data, uh, particularly data at the county level that we didn't have. So that happened in 2019. And then starting around that 2019, 12, we're really 2020 mark, you know, like a lot of the country, you know, turkey hunting just has gotten super popular. And we just, we, the, the non, you mentioned the non-resident thing. We, we saw basically in about a two to three year span, the number of non-residents coming to Mississippi doubled uh, based on the permits we were selling. And, you know, that happened wow. at a time when some other states were sort of pulling, pulling the reins back in terms of, of their season frameworks. And, and so it sort of left our state, um, which we had always been an early opening state, one of the early opening yeah. states, and 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 that's always made yeah, but, a popular destination. But yeah. it went from being, you know, we were one of a handful to like we're kind yeah. of the only one. Yeah, and uh, Alabama was the fifteenth with y'all. Georgia was right there on the twentieth. I mean, y'all had there was a lot of area people could go to about that third week in March. 
then it was just y'all, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and so and so, like I said, we had already seen a a, a really dramatic increase in um, all turkey hunters, not just non-resident, but even resident turkey hunters. But the non-resident, like I said, we had had a, a near doubling of that in just a couple of uh, year period based on the uh, non-resident permit sales that we had, and so that and you know all of a sudden a couple of of our neighboring states in the southeast as as you noted changed their season where we were kind of going to be the only place and we're already having this thing so we we sort of saw that as a really special case that we needed to address particularly on public land you know private landowners can sort of regulate access how they see fit but you know with the popularity of of traveling turkey hunting that you know, that's always kind of been there, but it's gotten a lot more popular lately. We, we felt like we needed to sort of protect resource a little bit on public lands. And so that we did, we were very, we were very upfront that we did not want to like completely exclude non-residents. We don't want to start a, a war mm-hmm. against non-residents. And we didn't want like a, a tit for tat with other states and some sort of retaliation or something like that. But yeah. we felt like, look, what we really want to do is try to, um, kind of just keep that non-resident number more similar to what it had been, you know, 10 years ago, rather than kind of what it's become post COVID. And, um, and we, we felt like, you know, we just need to kind of for public land in a very specific window of time when, when we're maybe the only opportunity around, we need to, you know, create some, some safeguards to sort of just govern the whole thing, keep the pot from boiling over. And so, that was that was the non-resident public land um, endorsement. Essentially, it's an endorsement on a license you got to have to to be able to come here during the first couple of weeks of our season, and it's worked well. I mean, I, I you know I was very surprised that um, we did not receive a lot of a lot of negative comments from non-resident hunters about that. In fact, actually, probably received more even from non-residents saying you know yeah y'all need to do something it's so um, smart so, yeah uh so we're in like i guess this will be the let's see i think that went in in 2021 so i think this will be the third year of it if i remember correctly we we want to allow non-resident opportunity but you know we yeah. didn't want to completely just shut it off totally so we felt like this was some sort of a middle ground to address a very specific issue in a very specific way so hopefully it's it's been well received it really um, is. I mean, it, it's, you know, I don't know that there's ever a perfect solution for for really any problem, but this is pretty darn close to being that. You know, you, you keep your residents happy, you keep your private landowners happy, you keep your people hunting private ground happy because they're not competing with every Tom, Dick, and Harry from Alabama or Tennessee or Arkansas or Louisiana, and I'm going to quit naming states because I'm going to tick people off but you know you you just uh, and it makes the experience for your out-of-staters that are lucky enough to draw more enjoyable and so you know when you're not having to worry about some jack leg on a piece of public ground that you pulled up to his spot 30 seconds before he did busting your back window of your truck out you know it's just it it's a it's a great setup so yeah, well, I think I appreciate it was that. I, yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. And it, it was one of that, you know, a lot of times with, with state agencies, you know, trying to get regs enacted and stuff can be a big lift. But that was actually one that, you know, it went from it went from concept to law in 
as quick as any that I've ever seen, probably. So our, you know, our commission, I think, had an appetite to address that because we knew it was going to be a really specific problem. And, um, you know, we're willing to listen. And, and I, you know, so far it's worked. Uh, I know, you know, we we may end up fine tuning it some over the years, but, you know, I, I, the feedback I've gotten from the field has been that they, they, there's definitely a sense that the it has had the effect it was intended to which is essentially try to control some of the hunting quality on our public lands during that early part of the season yeah so so, you know other you know we our commission did this past may i guess i guess it was yeah it would have been may we looked at a packet that we had put forth and kind of from that really two things came out um one we will go to a physical tagging program in not this coming turkey season, not 2024, but 2025. And that's to sort of complement the, the harvest reporting aspect. And, and really that's honestly the, the, that's listening to our public. I mean, we had for a long time, we had really strong public support for, for wanting a tagging system, because I think the, the real passionate, serious, uh, turkey hunters that kind of have a heart of conservation, you know, they realize that it doesn't take very many bad apples when it comes to turkeys to really exploit the resource. And so, you know, having a tool there to enforce, to help enforce, help our law enforcement officers, our game wardens with, you know, both the bag limit and the, the reporting requirement and those sort of things. That was, that was one that we had a really high public support for. I mean, we did, when we, when we put that rule out there, um, off the top of my head, we had about 80, almost 90% public, comment in favor of that uh it was 80 i forget the exact number off the top of my head right now but it was 80 some percent of the public comments we received on that recommendation were in favor of it so you know real broad public support there i mean how many turkeys do you think mississippi actually kills because i'm looking y'all's harvest report from last year was eleven thousand three hundred and ten. you right. just stole my question yeah, so I'll tell you, um, that's a good. That is a really good question. So you're you're correct in that our our game check. So the actual reported harvest that we have last year was was a little north of eleven thousand. We have a, a survey that we send out. That's a postseason survey, uh, and it's actually we don't send it out. It's done over the phone. We and uh, a third party does that for us, where we estimate the harvest. And the methodology on that estimate has not changed. It's been done the same way for for over 40 years now to give us apples to apples comparisons from past years, right? And so uh-huh. essentially, what it is is it's it's a statistical estimate. It's the same way like when you when you see somebody on the news say you know 30 million people watch the Super Bowl, nobody actually surveyed 30 million people. They surveyed a subset of the people watching television, figured out what they watched, and then they extrapolated that out, right? And and that's yeah. how they concluded that. 30 million people watch the Super Bowl. Well, same same deal with this. So we, every year, pull a subset of licensed hunters, ask them what they hunted, ask them how many animals they took, you know, on, depending on species, and we get an estimate. So this past hunting season, for 2023, the estimated harvest was 36,000 turkeys, or right, right around there. So we had mm-hmm. a reported harvest of, you know, between 11 and 12,000, and the estimated harvest was 36,000. So something's wrong somewhere, you know, um, either the estimate is, is wide, wildly wrong, or there's a lot of turkeys that are going unreported. And there's probably some, some of both, you know, that estimate sounds a lot more likely because Mississippi, I just looked it up. It's 5 million acres bigger than Tennessee. And 
I don't see y'all killing one third the number of turkeys that Tennessee does. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, that so the the game check stuff is really good. It, 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 so the thing that you got to keep in mind, like data data doesn't have to be perfect to be useful, right? Like even with yeah. the 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 game check stuff, even if the reporting reported harvest is not anywhere near what the true harvest is hopefully the distribution of those reports are accurate which means like you know looking at that kind of data you can kind of look at patterns across the state and see what counties are doing well or what counties aren't doing well and that sort of stuff yeah. so um a lot of times when i talk to you know talk to hunters they, they really get caught up in kind of the precision of the estimates or the data or whatever and i think as biologists you know we we recognize that there there's never going to be perfect data you're never going to have everything exactly precise and 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 you know know something with 100 percent truth you just sort of have to take as many data sets as you can and be aware of all their potential shortcomings and and biases and warts and problems and all of that and then just kind of look at the whole of it to try to get an idea of what's going on out there yeah but y'all are hoping the physical tag will increase compliance, I guess, with the game check, too. Correct. So that's the hope. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if the game warden catches you and your bird does not have a tag wrapped around it, that you're, you, you're done, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, our, our, uh, you know, our law enforcement officers have been strongly behind that for, for years as a tool that, that they need to, to do their jobs. And, and, you know, again, public opinion polling has shown us that the vast majority of turkey hunters are behind it, too, because they recognize the same thing. You know, they know uh, they, they know that it doesn't take very many really bad thuggish outlaw turkey killers to hurt a turkey population. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because y'all, y'all had a pretty big poaching ring get busted out of Mississippi, didn't you, out of South Mississippi? <laughs> oh, yeah. We've had hmm. several big ones in the last couple of years. I, you know, I, I don't <laughs> A little bit of shame, yeah. You know, our, our our state gets a bad rap sometimes with some of that sort of stuff. But yeah, we had, um, I guess, what was it, three, four years ago, basically a, a group of, of about a half dozen individuals were responsible for a hundred illegally killed turkeys in a season, you know. Uh, and that's just the ones that they were kind of able to to make cases on, you know. So again, like when you think about you know, I'm not, uh, most turkey hunters are not outlaws. Most turkey hunters want to do right and want to abide by the rules and respect the bird and, and want the bird to prosper. But it doesn't take very many yeah. outlaws that are, are really good to hurt the turkey population in an area. Yeah. And uh, and so I think, you know, most law-abiding turkey hunters want our game wardens to have every tool possible at their disposal to be able to try to stop that kind of activity. Yeah. Yep. No doubt, especially people like that. So that is that about all the changes that Mississippi has implemented the past couple of years, I guess? I yeah, that, that, that's, that's been kind of it, uh, where we're at right now. Now, there's a lot of talk, and I'm, I'm really encouraged, and I hope it'll go somewhere. There's a lot of talk about trying to implement kind of a, a turkey stamp, like similar to duck stamp, where it's you know essentially dedicated funding to turkey research and management. I know several other states have that. Arkansas does really well with theirs, and it's a voluntary stamp. I mean, they're making over yeah. well into six Ab- figures off a voluntary stamp. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's a lot of that. That that legislatively, a lot has to happen there. But there is a lot of talk about it, uh, and I, you know, I don't know what the future will hold on that. But I'm really encouraged by it because I think, you know, any any 
you know, dollars that can be earmarked for turkeys is obviously a good thing, and it and it makes sure everybody's kind of keeping their eye on the ball. You know, not just now, but far into the future, uh, on making sure we're spending our our resources wisely to help wild turkeys. And I mean, you can't argue with the success that duck stamps have have been both at the federal level and at the state level for yeah pretty pretty much every state in the union. You know, it's a very successful model where a specific user group you know, says we want to do this thing and implements it. And then the, the dollars are spent for the benefit of that user group. So again, I don't know where that'll go. I don't know if that's something that, that, that is going to happen here. I just know that there's, there's a lot of talk about it now. And you hear that from a lot of people uh, and there seems to be a lot of public support for it. So um, that may be, you know, another one coming down at, at some point in the future. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome to see. I'd, even if I wasn't coming down there, I'd probably buy one. I think I've bought one in Arkansas every year they've had one. I don't even go there all that much. Yeah, there you go. But that's awesome. And I mean, just the way you're talking about how the public's been involved and stuff, it it seems like not only Mississippi, but a lot of states and basically nationwide almost, there's a lot more enthusiasm in the public about being involved in turkey decisions and the, you know, what studies are going on and and what's going on with their state with turkeys. I I just feel like more people are keen to that now now than maybe 10 years ago. And absolutely. And if there's a, if there's a silver lining to kind of some of the tough times we've been through Turkey population wise over the last decade or so, uh, I think that's it. Um, You know, I I think you've, Turkey hunters have always cared about turkeys. I'm not saying that, but I think just in the last ten years or so, there's just there's been a very dramatic change in um, the mentality that you know we can't take this bird for granted. I think you know obviously there was a lot of work done during kind of the restoration phase, and then and then after that for a period of years there was a lot of research going on just to kind of understand the basic ecology of turkeys. And then, you know, not not to say that we quit doing turkey management or quit doing turkey research, but it it wasn't really front and center the way it had been during kind of the restoration age. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we look up and we're having trouble and and everybody said, you know, we got to do something about it. So I think both in terms of, you know, university researchers, there's 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 not probably there is right now today more turkey research going on around the United States than at any point in history. I think yeah. if you look at state agencies, you know, the, the stuff that I just talked about here in Mississippi, but I mean, you look across all states, you got a lot of states, you know, trying different things and looking at what levers they can maybe pull to address turkey issues. And then the thing that I'm really probably maybe more excited about than all of it is kind of like, like you said, turkey hunters are very much, I think, making a transition into becoming turkey managers. And I I liken that to sort of the change that happened with deer hunting culture. And if you go back to, you know, and and there's probably a different timeline in different parts of the country, but, you know, go back to 1985 or 1990 here in Mississippi and probably same in Alabama and Tennessee, you know, there was a lot of deer hunters and people went to the deer camp and they, they did that whole thing. And then when it was over, that was kind of the end of it, you know, and through the the 90s and early 2000s you saw this real dramatic shift in sort of the deer hunting community where they went from just simply being hunters to being deer managers and and it became you know they're think making conscious decisions about harvest of bucks and and bucks to take and let grow older they're thinking about 
habitat and, and providing nutrition 365 and and to the point where now you got a lot of people that, that they enjoy the deer management more than they enjoy probably the deer hunting itself you know and i really think we're at the very front end or, or maybe already into it of the turkey hunting world kind of going the same way that you just the interest in prescribed burning the interest in you know predator management the the amount of interest you see in all the different media out there this it's about turkey research and turkey science and the stuff that's going on, you know, it, it does really feel like turkey hunters are, are, are not going to take the species for granted and are going to just continue becoming more and more involved in, in making sure we got them. And that's, you know, that to me is, is extremely encouraging. And, you know, I, I hope it's kind of, like I said, I hope it's kind of the silver lining out of this, this kind of the turkey decline that we've been through. Uh, is that now you're going to have a lot more people, a lot more active, and that's going to spell a better future for decades to come. Yeah. Well, totally yeah, agree. Absolutely. I don't know how you couldn't agree with that and or be encur- you know, not be encouraged by that because, I mean, I think we all see it, you know, just social media and stuff. That one positive, you see that, and you're like, man, this is great. People are getting involved. Yeah. i tell you here, you know, the, our, our, uh, the Mississippi Forestry Commission oversees the uh, prescribed burn classes, you know, to get certified for prescribed burning and like 20 years ago almost all the people going through that were kind of like either consulting forester types or, or agency types you know working for a state agency or the forest service or something like that and it's totally flipped where now most of the people going and getting certified to do prescribed burning are private landowners and they're doing it because they want to manage for wildlife you know and there's there's nothing you can do better for turkeys than, than burning the woods off if you're in a, a deep south state like mississippi or alabama and so i think that's a direct you know that, that's like a direct piece of evidence to show that that you know just active land management and all aspects of that are just it's 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 really growing so hopefully that's going to offset whatever the bad stuff is going on you know yeah uh, definitely prescribed fire I, I mean i've personally gotten into it recently myself and it's fun I like it. Every time I'm out there with yeah, the drip. Yeah, there you go. Like, you're, you're chasing point right there. You know? Yeah. When I'm out there with the drip torch, my brother looked at me. He's like, I can't believe they let us do this. And I was like, man, me, <laughs> light it up. <laughs> it is scary and fun at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we've had you on a little bit, but I did want to talk to you before we cut you loose about the study y'all are doing that I think could be revolutionary, I guess, for hopefully a lot of different states will implement it if it works out where y'all are trying to figure out how to basically quantify the number of turkeys on the landscape based on like genetics and like droppings and feathers and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. So you're, you're referencing kind of a project that we're funding through uh, Dr. Dana Morin's lab at Mississippi state and Dr. Mark McConnell's involved with it too. And they've got a great technician, Jackson McCommon, who's, who's doing a lot of the legwork on that, but essentially it's, it's using the stuff that turkeys leave behind in the field, their, their feathers and their feces and their droppings to uh, get an idea of, of how many turkeys there are out there. And I'll be real quick to say I'm, I'm not the expert on that technology. I can identify a turkey dropping when I see it. But essentially <laughs> what it does is like the genetic stuff, it's really cool. Like it's cutting edge where the it's, it's, it's using genetics to identify kind of who left behind this feather or this dropping in the field and then kind of using a, a really old, well-used statistical technique uh, through kind of mark, what we call mark recapture to 
if that individual shows back up in a later sample, there's ways of, of doing some math to try to figure out, okay, well, how many total turkeys are out there based on the number of recaptures that we're getting? So it's, it's taking a really uh, cutting-edge technology on the genetic side and applying it to a really kind of older technique on the you know, sort of statistic side, if you want to think of that. And um, so, w- w- you know, it's not really been done before, so we don't you know, fully know if, if it's going to come off exactly like we anticipate. But the goal is basically to look at uh, right now we've got eight sites across the state that we think run the gradient of um, kind of turkey numbers. Some sites that we think have a lot of turkeys, some sites we think don't have very many turkeys. And so we're wanting to use the technique to, to really get a very precise estimate of how many there are. Yeah. And like that, that to me is <clears throat> like knowing exactly how many turkeys there are is, is just, it's, it's such a tough question to answer, but it's really the, it's really the key to answering a lot of other things. Like if you're wanting, wanting to evaluate habitat management or which habitat technique yields the most turkeys, well, first you got to be able to know, how many turkeys there are and be able to compare yeah. between things you want to know like what 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 is it about the landscape that's changing the number of turkeys you got to first be able to count the number of turkeys you know so there's a whole lot of like there's a whole lot of questions that can be answered if you can first figure out how many of them there are and that's just a really it would seem like that's a very easy question to answer but it's not and and so we're trying to um you know take maybe a little different approach to answering that the other cool thing about doing it that way is the genetic stuff is going to give us kind of some side benefits, like looking at relationships within the population, parentage, things like that. We'll be able to get like survival estimates out of it. And then if you're picking up, you know, if the, if the turkeys are leaving droppings in the field, you can kind of look at the health of the bird from that. So they're leaving behind um, different things you can look at in the poop to kind of tell you how healthy the turkey is. Is the turkey got a lot of parasites? It does have some kind of disease, that sort of thing. So you can get these measurements of health that you can then compare back to the numbers that you're estimating. And so, um, you know, right now we're kind of just one year into it and it's, it's sort of a pilot project. So the, the sampling periods for the first year are over. So there's kind of a lot of, a lot of lab work going on right now, looking at all that. And, uh, but I, I'm really excited about it. I, I hope we're going to get a lot of good information out of it. That sounds awesome. And I'm hoping I'm hoping the final product is that, like, as a landowner, I can get basically like an Ancestry.com kit for turkeys. <laughs> and, you know, if if a gobbler beats me like three years in a row, same spot, I can test his feces to see if it truly is the same gobbler that's whooping the crap out of me, or if it's a different one. Yeah, nice. that's man, that's that's cool. It's funny you say that. So I got, I told you at the very beginning there, like my son, this was this past turkey season was the first year I really let him carry a gun and kind of be my, my, my shooter. And, um, I got to tell him like what really early in my turkey hunting career, I was probably late teenager. Maybe, uh, I had a, a turkey that I named on, on my grandfather's property. I named the turkey, the professor and man, that turkey gave me fit one, one season and never did kill him, like laid eyes on him a bunch and just like couldn't, couldn't pull myself away from him. And so I tell my son, my son this past season, that story that I had that when I was, you know, 16 or 18 or however old I was, I had this bird back here in the same area that we're hunting today that, man, I couldn't, I couldn't ever call him up. And I called him, I named him the professor and he always, you know, was, was in this one area. And so my son asked me, do you think we're hunting 
the professor's like great grandchildren today. (laughs) You know, we might be. And so he just thought that was like the coolest thing, you know, like this connection to sort of my youth years ago. But yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's what turkey hunting is. It's all about, you know, like all those memories and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. If it got to where you could identify the particular turkey, I'd, I'd want to do it, man. I'd be like, is this the same joker that beat me last week? And we'll go find his droppings and figure it out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you real quick. I'm not an expert on genetics. I, I, uh, it is one of those things that was a little bit above my ability to grasp mentally. So I have to rely on people a lot smarter than me when it comes to that kind of thing. So <laughs> I have to, I, ask is there a future where we can get to like a turkeyancestry.com or something like yes, that that's what we want <laughs> tell them that's what we want mississippi state that's what we're after <laughs> yeah that's awesome you guys probably same situation over there uh, and we've been in extreme drought this past year and so like there is and yeah. there is not an acorn crop at all across most of the state the very northern part of the state has a little bit but man the the uh the white oaks didn't make across most of the state and the red oaks pretty much aborted because of the drought. So old turkey bird going to have a tough winter this year. They're not going to be a lot of food on the ground. So I don't know how that'll affect, that'll delay anything this upcoming spring. Well, hopefully we won't have too cold of a winter where, you know, that that'll have a whole lot of effect on them, but that is you never know. To see the hens are less fit potentially coming into spring, you know, a little bit more malnourished, not able to nest as quick. Uh, you know, who knows? Who knows the butterfly yeah, I, effect, I, did, I guess. I guess I, I, seriously, that is, I think that's a real possibility, you know, that, that you know, you go through an extreme drought and, and, and essentially no no mass crop this winter, and I think it could affect things. I do, you know, it, it could delay things. I, I always, you know, when we get, and this is on a serious note, like a lot of times when um, – get calls from non-residents wanting to come to mississippi everybody wants to come here on march the 15th because you know <laughs> we we open early and you want to be there on open day but i'm very quick to tell people, like the best turkey hunting is not opening day most of the no. time like it's on in our season you know a couple of weeks depending on where you're at in the state varies a little bit but you know that you know april 1st give or take a week depending on where you're at is usually way better than than the opening day will be depending on weather now we get a really warm winter it's different but you know yeah. so the, the lesson there is don't think you got to be there on opening day yeah that's true i've had really good luck in mississippi around right around when tennessee season opens around june 15th <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's mid-season here andy don't don't embellish anything okay i'm sorry <laughs> yeah. we go from may 15 to july 15 now so <laughs> well but you're you're right adam and i and i think you know i think a lot of that opening day thing is obviously people just being pent up from the winter and wanting to get out and and enjoy the the great outdoors with a gun in their hand and call in their mouth and a vest on their back and you know it's just good to be outside but no you're you're 100 percent right you know the the hunting is much better once those hens start to venture off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, man, this, you get all my that. Son, my my son keeps reminding me we're we're a lot closer to turkey season than we were. That's how he says it. <laughs> yeah, as of talking to you, it's a hundred days away. That's a so tomorrow yeah, will be ninety nine. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. You're counting. Man, I, you may be the first person I've heard, like, actually counting down the days at this point. <laughs> so, wow. Which which opener you want the days of? You want my first turkey hunt? <laughs> <laughs> we got, like, one of those apps on your phone that has, like, a countdown clock for, like, half the states or something. Yeah, you got pretty it. much. That's, yep. that's dead on. And, you know, mallard, mallard duck whacking is 10 days in at this point, according to my calendar. <laughs> so that was the other part I had on there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But thank you, Adam, for joining us. I appreciate yes. you taking time to hop on here and talk about Mississippi and, you know, tell us what all y'all got going on as one of the great turkey states in my mind, one that's historic and had turkeys for a long, long time. One of the few that didn't really lose them all the way. Yeah, well, I appreciate the invite. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk turkey, and I know you guys um, you, you guys do great work and have a big audience, and a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks eat this stuff up. So I appreciate the chance to come on. Well, we thank you again for taking the time, and you got a hunting trip coming up here in a few days. Best of luck to you on that. Travel safely, hunt safely, and we'll be back in touch soon and see if we can't get you on the show again. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. Have a great night. All right. Goodbye. All right. Good update on Mitatipi. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was, you know, and several years ago, I had somebody say, well, hey, why don't you do a show kind of highlighting every single, not every state in the same show, but, you know, highlighting a different state. And I thought, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, but that's going to be, you know, a lot of work, too you know, getting the right biologist on the phone with the state or, you know, the right yeah. person with the game of fish department. But uh, so I, so I decided against doing it, but you know, you guys already know that Cameron and I are against hot spotting states or hot spotting public ground within states, especially. Yeah. But you know, there, the main reason we wanted to get Adam on the show is that Mississippi's made changes to their regs quite a few changes over the past several years they're considering making more yeah our personal opinion is maybe minus the the banning fall turkey hunting is that mississippi's doing things that personally cameron and i like i would totally agree i think i think what they have done has been the best moves i've seen i mean it seems like every i mean has every state in the southeast at this point has made some kind of change yes besides maybe florida florida may be the only one that's not and in my opinion what mississippi's done has been top of the line i mean just talking to him about doing the non-resident cap how quickly they got that put through and i'm like well yeah because it makes common just Easy common sense. Hey, we yeah. got too many people coming in now. Let's just cap it at where it used to be and let's roll with it. And boom. I mean, that just I love that. And I'm I'm a non-resident, but I love that. I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And just what they've done, they really have not taken away a ton of opportunity to hunt turkeys from their, especially their residents. From the they've residents. Taken away almost none. Yeah. And and almost none from everybody. You know, they, they really haven't reduced the opportunity to hunt turkeys in Mississippi in any way. But they're looking out for the resource with the changes they've made. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. I just think it's I think it's great. And I think 
physical tagging will help because you know <laughs> got a pretty good disparagement between the eleven thousand checked and the thirty six thousand that they assume <laughs> get killed. So <laughs> hopefully that helps. I, I hope it helps, but you know as well as I do, and I know Adam knows this as well, and all the all the wildlife officers know it. It's going to take two, three years for people to to number one be educated enough that the law's changed and that they've got to do this. But then number two, have it ingrained in their memory enough that they've got to have these tags and have them on the turkey's legs. Yeah. You know, or, or wherever on the turkey to, you know, before they transport them. So, yeah, it's a step, a positive step in the in the right direction. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, you know, we also had Arkansas. We talked to uh, Jeremy over in Arkansas a couple of years ago and. You know, when states are making several changes, we do like to check in and see, you know, what's going on. Why are they doing it? And with Mississippi specifically, both of us agree we we like their changes. So if we wanted to get Adam on and talk about that, plus the new study that's going to give us turkey DNA that, you know, that's we can have tur- cool. turkeyancestry.com soon coming up. And can't wait to we have should, that. We should go ahead and buy that URL. <laughs> Cobbler ancestry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, I'd like to be able to go in my turkey building, find the gobbler I killed on a property, you know, seven years ago, test his toenail, and see if it matches the one that I killed this year. Or even better, be able to, to just look back through that turkey's family tree and say, hey, this is one that, that Ben Franklin. <laughs> This is the one he was talking about. The great, 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 great. I'm going to keep going for about 10 more of those. Grandson of the turkey that Ben Franklin ate on Thanksgiving Day and, you know, on this date. So that'd be that'd be the thing to do. I mean, we have pretty low expectations of the University of Mississippi State. So hopefully they come out with something. Yeah, no matter what they come out with, you and I are not going to be happy with it. No, we, we already have low <laughs> expectations. So. If there's no uh, gobblerancestry.com this time next year, I'm going to be disappointed. But outside <laughs> of that, we're happy with the changes Mississippi's made. Enjoyed talking with Adam. Seems like the state of Mississippi's got a great wild turkey coordinator at the yes. helm. Yeah. So y'all should be proud of that. And great guy. Yeah, um, great guy. Yeah, Definitely. Great guy. Very much so values public opinion, which I think is huge for that position. You know? Loves his job, loves wild turkeys, you know, is a hunter and doesn't want to take away opportunities for hunters, just like Cameron said. And that is a big deal. Yes. Good guy to be in that position. So Yeah. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We- I did. We sure did. Yes, absolutely. And remember to buy some raffle tickets. That can be yes. a favor of the week if you want it to be. Go buy one plus raffle tickets at the link of the show notes. I think that's a great favor of the week. And with that said, I think we should just put a bow on this one and wrap it on up, man. Move on down the line. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to 
the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.